Chapter Twelve, Part One, of the Riddle of the Universe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. The Riddle of the Universe by Ernst Haeckel. Translated by Joseph McCabe. Chapter 12. The Law of Substance. Part 1. The Fundamental Chemical Law of the Constancy of Matter. The Fundamental Physical Law of the Conservation of Energy. Combination of Both Laws in the Law of Substance. The Kinetic pycnotic and dualistic ideas of substance monism of matter ponderable matter atoms and elements affinity of the elements the soul of the atom feeling and inclination existence and character of ether ether and ponderable matter force and energy potential and actual force unity of natural forces supremacy of the law of substance the supreme and all-pervading law of nature the true and only cosmological law is in my opinion the law of substance its discovery and establishment is the greatest intellectual triumph of the nineteenth century in the sense that all other known laws of nature are subordinate to it under the name of law of substance we embrace two supreme laws of different origin and age the older is the chemical law of the conservation of matter and the younger is the physical law of the conservation of energy it will be self-evident to many readers and it is acknowledged by most of the scientific men of the day that these two great laws are essentially inseparable this fundamental thesis however is still much contested in some quarters and we must proceed to furnish the proof of it but we must first devote a few words to each of the two laws the law of the persistence or indestructibility of matter established by lavoisier in seventeen eighty nine may be formulated thus the sum of matter which fills infinite space is unchangeable a body has merely changed its form when it seems to have disappeared when coal burns it is changed into carbonic acid gas by combination with the oxygen of the atmosphere when a piece of sugar melts in water it merely passes from the solid to the fluid condition in the same way 
it is merely a question of change of form in the cases where a new body seems to be produced a shower of rain is the moisture of the atmosphere cast down in the form of drops of water when a piece of iron rusts the surface layer of the metal has combined with water and with atmospheric oxygen and formed a rust or oxyhydrate of iron nowhere in nature do we find an example of the production or creation of new matter nowhere does a particle of existing matter pass entirely away this empirical truth is now the unquestionable foundation of chemistry it may be directly verified at any moment by means of the balance to the great french chemist lavoisier belongs the high merit of first making this experiment with the balance at the present day the scientist who is occupied from one end of the year to the other with the study of natural phenomena is so firmly convinced of the absolute constancy of matter that he is no longer able to imagine the contrary state of things we may formulate the law of the persistence of force or conservation of energy thus the sum of force which is at work in infinite space and produces all phenomena is unchangeable when the locomotive rushes along the line the potential energy of the steam is transformed into the kinetic or actual energy of the mechanical movement when we hear its shrill whistle as it speeds along the sound waves of the vibrating atmosphere are conveyed through the tympanum and the three bones of the ear into the inner labyrinth and thence transferred by the auditory nerve to the acoustic ganglionic cells which form the center of hearing in the temporal lobe of the gray bed of the brain the whole marvelous panorama of life that spreads over the surface of our globe is in the last analysis transformed sunlight it is well known how the remarkable progress of technical science has made it possible for us to convert the different physical forces from one form to another heat may be changed into molar movement or movement of mass this in turn into light or sound and then into electricity and so forth accurate measurement of the quantity of force which is used in this metamorphosis has shown that it is constant or unchanged no particle of living energy is ever extinguished no particle is ever created anew friedrich mohr of bonn was very near to the discovery of this great fact in eighteen thirty seven but the discovery was actually made by the able swabian physician robert meyer of heilbronn in eighteen forty two independently of meyer however the principle was reached almost at the same time by the famous 
physiologist Hermann Helmholtz. Five years afterwards he pointed out its general application to, and fertility in, every branch of physics. We ought to say today that it rules also in the entire province of physiology, that is, of organic physics. But on that point we meet a strenuous opposition from the vitalistic biologists and the dualist and spiritualist philosophers. For these, the peculiar spiritual forces of human nature are a group of free forces, not subject to the law of energy. The idea is closely connected with the dogma of the freedom of the will. We have, however, already seen, page 204, that the dogma is untenable. Modern physics draws a distinction between force and energy, but our general observations so far have not needed a reference to it. The conviction that these two great cosmic theorems, the chemical law of the persistence of matter and the physical law of the persistence of force, are fundamentally one, is of the utmost importance in our monistic system. The two theories are just as intimately united as their objects, matter and force or energy. Indeed, this fundamental unity of the two laws is self-evident to many monistic scientists and philosophers, since they merely relate to two different aspects of one and the same object, the cosmos. But however natural the thought may be, it is still very far from being generally accepted. It is stoutly contested by the entire dualistic philosophy, vitalistic biology, and parallelistic psychology. Even, in fact, by a few inconsistent monists who think they find a check to it in consciousness, in the higher mental activity of man, or in other phenomena of our free mental life. For my part, I am convinced of the profound importance of the unifying law of substance as an expression of the inseparable connection in reality of two laws which are only separated in conception. That they were not originally taken together and their unity recognized from the beginning is merely an accident of the date of their respective discoveries. The earlier and more accessible chemical law of the persistence of matter was detected by Lavoisier in 1789 and, after a general application of the balance, became the basis of exact chemistry. On the other hand, the more recondite law of the persistence of force was only discovered by Meyer in 1842 and only laid down as the basis of exact physics by Helmholtz. The unity of the two laws, still much disputed, 
is expressed by many scientists who are convinced of it in the formula law of the persistence of matter and force in order to have a briefer and more convenient expression for this fundamental thought i proposed some time ago to call it the law of substance or the fundamental cosmic law it might also be called the universal law or the law of constancy or the axiom of the constancy of the universe in the ultimate analysis it is found to be a necessary consequence of the principle of causality the first thinker to introduce the purely monistic conception of substance into science and appreciate its profound importance was the great philosopher baruch spinoza his chief work appeared shortly after his premature death in sixteen seventy seven just one hundred years before lavoisier gave empirical proof of the constancy of matter by means of the chemist's principal instrument the balance in his stately pantheistic system the notion of the world the universe or the cosmos is identical with the all-pervading notion of god it is at one and the same time the purest and most rational monism and the clearest and most abstract monotheism this universal substance this divine nature of the world shows us two different aspects of its being or two fundamental attributes matter infinitely extended substance and spirit the all-embracing energy of thought all the changes which have since come over the idea of substance are reduced on a logical analysis to this supreme thought of spinoza's with goethe i take it to be the loftiest profoundest and truest thought of all ages every single object in the world which comes within the sphere of our cognizance all individual forms of existence are but special transitory forms accidents or modes of substance these modes are material things when we regard them under the attribute of extension or occupation of space but forces or ideas when we consider them under the attribute of thought or energy to this profound thought of spinoza our purified monism returns after a lapse of two hundred years for us too matter space filling substance and energy moving force are but two inseparable attributes of the one underlying substance among the various modifications which the fundamental idea of substance has undergone in modern physics in association with the prevalent atomism we shall select only two of the most divergent theories for a brief discussion the kinetic and the pycnotic 
both theories agree that we have succeeded in reducing all the different forces of nature to one common original force gravity and chemical action electricity and magnetism light and heat etc are only different manifestations forms or dynamodes of a single primitive force prodynamis this fundamental force is generally conceived as a vibratory motion of the smallest particles of matter a vibration of atoms the atoms themselves according to the usual kinetic theory of substance are dead separate particles of matter which dance to and fro in empty space and act at a distance the real founder and most distinguished representative of the kinetic theory is newton the famous discoverer of the law of gravitation in his great work the philosophiae naturalis principia mathematica 1687 he showed that throughout the universe the same law of attraction controls the unvarying constancy of gravitation the attraction of two particles being in direct proportion to their mass and in inverse proportion to the square of their distance this universal force of gravity is at work in the fall of an apple and the tidal wave no less than in the course of the planets round the sun and the movements of all the heavenly bodies newton had the immortal merit of establishing the law of gravitation and embodying it in an indisputable mathematical formula yet this dead mathematical formula on which most scientists lay great stress as so frequently happens gives us merely the quantitative demonstration of the theory it gives us no insight whatever into the qualitative nature of the phenomena the action at a distance without a medium which newton deduced from his law of gravitation and which became one of the most serious and most dangerous dogmas of later physics does not afford the slightest explanation of the real causes of attraction indeed it long obstructed our way to the real discovery of them i cannot but suspect that his speculations on this mysterious action at a distance contributed not a little to the leading of the great english mathematician into the obscure labyrinth of mystic dreams and theistic superstition in which he passed the last thirty-four years of his life we find him at the end giving metaphysical hypotheses on the predictions of daniel and on the paradoxical fantasies of saint john in fundamental opposition to the theory of vibration or the kinetic theory of substance we have the modern theory of condensation or the pycnotic theory of substance it is most ably established in the suggestive work of j c vogt on the nature of electricity and magnetism on the basis of a simplified conception of substance 
1891. Vogt assumes the primitive force of the world, the universal prodynamis, to be not the vibration or oscillation of particles in empty space, but the condensation of a simple primitive substance which fills the infinity of space in an unbroken continuity. Its sole inherent mechanical form of activity consists in a tendency to condensation or contraction, which produces infinitesimal centers of condensation. These may change their degree of thickness and therefore their volume, but are constant as such. These minute parts of the universal substance, the centers of condensation, which might be called pycnatoms, correspond in general to the ultimate separate atoms of the kinetic theory. They differ, however, very considerably in that they are credited with sensation and inclination, or will movement of the simplest form, with souls in a certain sense, in harmony with the old theory of Empedocles of the love and hatred of the elements. Moreover, these atoms with souls do not float in empty space, but in the continuous, extremely attenuated, intermediate substance, which represents the uncondensed portion of the primitive matter. By means of certain constellations, centers of perturbation, or systems of deformation, great masses of centers of condensation quickly unite in immense proportions and so obtain a preponderance over the surrounding masses. By that process, the primitive substance, which in its original state of quiescence had the same mean consistency throughout, divides or differentiates into two kinds. The centers of disturbance which positively exceed the mean consistency in virtue of the pycnosis or condensation form the ponderable matter of bodies. The finer, intermediate substance, which occupies the space between them and negatively falls below the mean consistency, forms the ether, or imponderable matter. As a consequence of this division into mass and ether, there ensues a ceaseless struggle between the two antagonistic elements, and this struggle is the source of all physical processes. The positive, ponderable matter, the element with the feeling of like or desire, is continually striving to complete the process of condensation, and thus collecting an enormous amount of potential energy. The negative, imponderable matter, on the other hand, offers a perpetual and equal resistance to the further increase of its strain and of the feeling of dislike connected therewith, and thus gathers the utmost amount of actual energy. We cannot go any further here into the details of the brilliant theory of J. C. Vogt. 
the interested reader cannot do better than have recourse to the second volume of the above work for a clear popular exposition of the difficult problem i am myself too little informed in physics and mathematics to enter into a critical discussion of its lights and shades still i think that this pycnotic theory of substance will prove more acceptable to every biologist who is convinced of the unity of nature than the kinetic theory which prevails in physics today a misunderstanding may easily arise from the fact that vogt puts his process of condensation in explicit contradiction with the general phenomenon of motion but it must be remembered that he is speaking of vibratory movement in the sense of the physicist his hypothetical condensation is just as much determined by a movement of substance as is the hypothetical vibration only the kind of movement and the relation of the moving elements are very different in the two hypotheses moreover it is not the whole theory of vibration but only an important section of it that is contradicted by the theory of condensation modern physics for the most part still firmly adheres to the older theory of vibration to the idea of an actio in distance and the eternal vibration of dead atoms in empty space it rejects the pycnotic theory although vogt's theory may be still far from perfect and his original speculations may be marred by many errors yet i think he has rendered a very good service in eliminating the untenable principles of the kinetic theory of substance as to my own opinion and that of many other scientists i must lay down the following theses which are involved in vogt's pycnotic theory as indispensable for a truly monistic view of substance and one that covers the whole field of organic and inorganic nature one the two fundamental forms of substance ponderable matter and ether are not dead and only moved by extrinsic force but they are endowed with sensation and will though naturally of the lowest grade they experience an inclination for condensation a dislike of strain they strive after the one and struggle against the other two there is no such thing as empty space that part of space which is not occupied with ponderable atoms is filled with ether three there is no such thing as an action at a distance through perfectly empty space all action of bodies upon each other is either determined by immediate contact or is effected by the mediation of ether End of chapter 12, part 1